Well, good morning. Appreciate y'all sliding in this morning and um, appreciate Jeff Blackaby getting there early in the morning trying to salt it down for us to make it as safe as we possibly uh, can. Thanks for Clay and the uh, praise team. You notice some new people up here. You know, we've never had more people involved in our music ministry than we do now. And I appreciate Clay so much and couldn't be more happy with the job that he's doing. But, you know, there's one thing that's rather odd about Clay. Maybe there's more than one, I don't know, but he's a Cleveland Browns fan, you know that? You gotta be a real fan to be a Cleveland Browns fan. Um, Cleveland's never been to a Super Bowl in the, what is this, Super Bowl what, 50? I don't know, 50 something. They did win an NFL championship before it was, there was ever an AFL and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that was back in the mid-60s. And so Clay is a, I think he probably got it from his dad, a long-suffering Cleveland Browns fan. And, you know, something really weird about Clay is also, you know, Clay's only, what, 30 or something like that? He's already got his will written. I didn't have a will till I was about 50 or so. So but that's probably a good thing. You know, Dave Ramsey and all that kind of stuff, he's got his will done. But he included in his will that he wants six Cleveland Browns to be his pallbearers because he wants to give them one more chance to let him down. <laughs> Some of you knew where I was going with that, didn't you? I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, sometimes... Um, People and institution, teams, uh, schools, employers, governments, politicians, sometimes they, uh, they let us down for a lot of reasons. And if we have to be really honest with ourselves, um, uh, sometimes we have let people down. And um, usually that comes in the area of uh, not keeping our promises is probably the area that comes in. Now, hopefully we don't, you know, hopefully we don't make a promise with the intent of not keeping it. But sometimes because of circumstances that may be out of our control, we can't, um, we can't really keep a promise. Um, a little more on that later. I want to tell you this morning, and I want to tell you for the next three weeks as we talk about the power of God's promises um, I, I want to tell you that God is a prolific promise maker. He is a prolific promise maker. How many promises do you think are in the Bible? Um, you know, you could, you could guess, but I guarantee you wouldn't, you wouldn't even come close to the fact that, that there are 7,487 promises in the Bible. And I cannot believe that a guy spent months and months and didn't have anything else to do than to be able to go through all God's word and find all the promises. All those promises are not, um, are not like for, for us. So some promises that he made for a specific person at a specific time. Like, like last week, we talked about the promise that he made to Abraham and Sarah, that even in their old age, he says, look up in the sky, uh, Abraham, and so shall your offspring be. 
and, and Abraham was at least 75 at that age and his wife was barren and, and he believed the promise. And what we, we built it on last week was that God says in Romans 15, 6, that, that because he believed that promise, God counted it as a righteousness. Now that was a specific promise. So don't you 60 and 70 year olds go banking on that promise because that's a specific promise for a specific um, person in a specific time, 7,487. And we're going to go through every single one of them in this series. <laughs> um, God is a prolific, a prolific promise maker. But the fact that he's a promise maker really doesn't make that much of a deal. We want to know if he's a promise keeper. And if he's a promise keeper, we can build, his, build our lives on his promises. I, I ran across something this week that seems so simple, and I'm embarrassed that I've never thought of this before. I mean, I have a master's degree in this stuff, and I have never thought of the fact that our whole Christian life is built on the promises of God. I'm sorry. That's probably old hat for you. You said, duh, Mark. Everybody knows that. But I'm, I don't think I've ever pondered that thought that our, we don't have a Christian life. We don't have a, a Christianity if it were not for the promises of God. We say, well, Jesus died on the cross. Well, yes, but that death really doesn't mean anything except for the promise that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I, I want to tell you something that maybe you know, but maybe you're like me and never really grabbed before or maybe even had this thought before that our Christian life is built upon the promises of God. And without the promises of God, obviously not all 7,487 of them, but without the, the promises of God, we have no Christian life at all. God is a prolific promise maker. But the deal is, for us to trust him, we have to decide if he is a promise keeper or not. The Apostle Paul must have thought he was because the Apostle Paul... Um, basically um, risk his life for the promises of God. Um, there's a story that comes uh, to us in the Bible of Paul standing before King Agrippa, who, who at that time was the head, the leader, the ruler, the king of what we know today as Israel. He was, a, he was placed there by Rome to lead Israel. And, 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 and if you can imagine the scene, here comes Paul, who would not have been anything at all to look at, here comes Paul, who was nothing basically but a missionary, and he probably a pretty impoverished missionary at that. And he was bought before King Agrippa and was probably brought before King Agrippa by some Jewish high priests and accused of preaching this new religion about this new Jesus and saying all kinds of heresy about that fact that he is the Messiah and he is the one that has been raised from the dead. And so the Apostle Paul comes, and, and I guess in all the pop and circumstance that would be there when someone comes before the king of that area in that time. And Paul had, a, Paul had a good reason to be fearful of King Agrippa as well. And I, I'm, I'm sure Paul knew that King Agrippa's um, uh, great-grandfather uh, was the one who set the order out to be able to kill all the children aged two and younger just so he could make sure that he would uh, kill this one that the wise men said that they were told about that he would kill the one that was called Jesus. So 
That was, that was King Agrippa's great, great, uh, that was his great-grandfather. King Agrippa's uncle had John the Baptist beheaded. King Agrippa's dad had James executed, threatened to execute Peter, but ended up just throwing him in jail. So as Paul stands before this guy, it's, it's, I mean, Paul's human and Paul knows this guy is no friend. This guy and his family are no friends of Christians. And if his past experience with this guy's family is right, then I mean, my life is on the line here. And so what is the apostle Paul going to say to justify himself? And what's the apostle Paul going to say to, to defend himself when, when the, the, the Jewish high priests say, hey, he's, he's preaching some new religion that is not our people have never believed that before and, and saying that Jesus is the Messiah, rose from the dead, and all that kind of stuff. So what's Paul going to use to justify himself? And we find that in, in the book of Acts, and it's in the 26th chapter of the book of Acts, verse 6 and 7. And after Paul gives some introductory words here, he says this to the king. Now, now listen, I, I, Paul's life's on line. Okay, because he knew what happened to John the Baptist. He knew what happened to James. He knew what happened to Peter. He knew that this guy's great-grandfather was ruthless enough to kill all the children, age two and under, just so he could get one. And so Paul could appeal to a lot of different things, I guess, to try to defend himself, and this is what Paul says. And it's in the 26th chapter of, of Acts, verses 6 and 7. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Um, Paul not only believed that, that God was a promise maker, he believed he was a promise keeper. And at that moment, he risked his life on the promises. It is because of this hope of the promise. And this, the, all the 12 tribes throughout the history of the ancient Israel have based their hope in this promise. It's because of that hope that I have in the promise that I stand before you today. He basically was telling King Agrippa that, that God is a promise keeper. And I'm building my life, even right now at this moment, I am staking my life on the promises of God. And you know, that's really nothing new because the Bible tells us that, that Noah, uh, by faith, believed in the promises of God, that there was something going to be called rain. And listen, there was, no, there was nothing. Nothing called rain before then. There was, you can read the Bible. The Bible says the ground was watered by almost something like an underground spring. There was no such a thing as rain. And, 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 and a promise came to Noah, and Noah literally built his life. Spent the next, what was it, 100 years building the ark? Literally built his whole life around the promise of God about a rain that he had never even heard of and wasn't even sure what it was going to look like, had no experience, couldn't see it, feel it, touch it. Um, Paul wasn't the first one to believe in the promises of God and build his life around that. Abraham built his life around the promises of God and, 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 and left his home, his country, his, his gods, because remember we talked about last week, he was a, 
he worshiped all kinds of gods and they had a God for everybody. And they, they had one God that was, this is, Paul talks about this in Acts. They have one God that they called the unknown God that just in case they, were, they missed that there was a God of something that they missed, you know, they had a God of rain, a God of sun, a God of the clouds, a God of everything. But just in case they missed one, they had one they called the unknown God, just in case they missed one. And so this God that had no name came to, Paul, came to Abraham one day and said, you need to follow me now and I'm going to take you to the land. I'm not going to tell you where that land is, but I'm just going to show you. You just need to leave. You need to take your family with you and you just need to leave and go out and he literally forsake what he knew forsook what he, he knew and he built his lives around the promises of God our whole Christian life is built on the promises of God and every biblical example that we can go to would talk about that Moses parents the Bible says Moses parents because of faith and because of their belief in the promises of God they hid him so he would not be murdered and that God would eventually use Moses as God used Moses. David literally went out because of the promises of God and his belief in those promises literally went out and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And he went out and fought a giant. Literally because of his hope his belief, his faith, building his life right then around the promises of God because Goliath could have, had him, could have killed him just like that if indeed he hadn't claimed the promises of God that God would be with him. <laughs> There's a little teenage girl in the New Testament. Total, her total life was changed because of the promises of God. And she believed that there was going to be something that we kind of really easily comes off our lips today called the virgin birth. And this little teenage girl, probably 15, 16, we don't know for sure. This little girl said, my life will never be the same again. I'll be accused of being an unwed mother. I'll be accused of, 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 of having sexual relations out of marriage, but I know what God has promised. And she literally built her life, risked her life, her life whole totally changed because the promises of God. Peter failed Jesus and because of the promises of God got a second chance. He believed that second chance. And Peter got up and impacted the whole ancient world at that time. And even the Catholic faith would, would somehow trace the first pope all the way back to St. Peter. Apostle Paul went to his death believing in the promises of God. I, I could talk about Old Testament characters. I could talk about New Testament characters, but I could also talk about you, and I could talk about me. You are here today. Why? Because it's Sunday? Why? Because your wife wants you to come? Why? Because your grandmother instilled it in you? All those, I guess, are okay things. But you're here today. If you're a Christian here today, and you're here for the right reason here today, you're here today because of what has been promised. And, and being here today is part of you building your lives around the promises of God. We have, an, as we've said just countless times, we have an unbelievably generous church. I mean, I would really have 
there's no church on this district that is generous as, as us. There's, there's just not. I mean, you, you divide what we take in by the number of people that we have, and you just do it per person, per capita, and there's just, we blow everybody else away. And, and, and that would be the same for all churches around us. We are an unbelievably generous bunch of people. Now, why are you that way? Now, why are you that way? Because you just love Xenia Nazarene so much or because you just think that leadership is really good? Or No, you believe it. God's Word when he says, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that he'll th throw out so much blessing upon you, you won't have room enough for it. You take God at his word. You take God at his word. And as I pray to you many times before offering, you just believe the promise that God can do more with the 90% than you can do with 100%. That's a promise that God has given in, in, in the Old Testament. And, and many of you are doing something so odd. You're, you're, you're receiving your um, statements from us now, aren't you? And I think most of you, if you haven't got them, some of you will get them the first part of this week. And, and it will say, this is how much you gave to the church. And we do that for tax purposes and all that. And, and, and some of you looked at it like I looked at ours and said, wow, that's a lot of money. That's three or four car payments. I could live in a nicer house because you're taking a nicer vacation. I could put a lot more away for retirement. I could retire earlier. <laughs> but we give that willingly. <laughs> we believe the promises of God. We are building our lives around the promises of God. And so my challenge to you this week and my challenge to you for all the weeks is, 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 is indeed, are we all doing that? And there's a promise here and a promise there and a promise there, all, not all 7,487, but are, are we claiming all of those promises? Are we leaning? Are we trusting? Are we building our lives, not just on one that maybe I find easier to believe or maybe this one that I find easier to trust God in, but am I, am, am I a believer as we talked last week? Am I a believer? Am I hanging on those promises of, of God? Am I building my life around all of the promises of God? You know, he's a prolific promise maker. Paul and many characters in the Old Testament thought he was a, not only a promise maker, a promise keeper. Many of us have staked our lives and staked a lot of parts of our lives on the promises of God. You know, when you, when you decide to trust God, how is it you make that decision? Think about that for a second. How is that that you make that decision to trust God with, with something just, for instance, financially like that figure that was on that sheet of paper that, that soon I got this week? How is it that we decide to trust God with that or decide to trust God in a myriad of different ways that he may ask us to be able to do that? Well, let, let's say someone makes you a promise. Uh, let's say, I don't, I don't know, we say, let's, let's say my son Levi, he's 13. Let's, let's say Levi comes up to me and says, says Dad, um, I, I've heard your radio program and I really like it and I want to give you $5,000 to help your radio program out, okay? Now, how am I going to, and, and how am I going to take Levi at his word or not? First, I'm going to uh, uh, investigate his character or his ability to keep that promise. Levi could really mean that, and he maybe doesn't have any concept of what $5,000 is. He could mean that. I mean, he could just, in his immaturity, 
throw that figure out there. But he doesn't have the ability to keep that promise. He ain't got $5,000. And when we evaluate God and the promises that he makes and the promises that he makes that are specific to us, we evaluate on those two things, basically. Who is God, his, his character, and then does he have the ability to keep it? You and I broke promises. And at some times in our lives, I imagine most of us could say it was because of a lack of character. But there's, there's other times we've broken a promise that it wasn't because of a lack of character. It was because of a lack of ability. I was, I was um, promised to take Christopher to the movies, uh, but there was a big accident on 675 and I stood there iron 15 minutes in traffic. I didn't, I guess, yeah, I broke my promise, but I didn't have the ability to keep it. And our kids understand that. And there's been many of times you've had to break a promise to someone simply because you did not have the ability to keep it because of your humanity. But when we investigate God and what he says in his word, does he, does he have the character? And does he have the ability to keep those promises? You know, for instance, it's about who God is. This is not necessarily about how much you believe, <laughs> how much you're holding on, how much you're clinging. This is about God and who God is. And the Bible says in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible, the Bible says God does not lie. And if God has put something in, in his, his word here for you, it, the Bible says he does not lie. Malachi 3.6 is the same way in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says God is, does, does not lie. And, and he never changes. And he does not lie. And, 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 and God is, is truthful. And that, that's so weak. Because I could, I could say Billy's truthful. Ron's truthful. Okay, I could say that Sue's truthful. But I'm talking Sue and God. That's, it's hard to be able to say that. God is not only truthful. God is truth. He is truth. He embodies truth. It, it, it is impossible for him to lie. It goes against his very nature. He is the standard of truth. It's just not like God makes a choice and tells the truth. No, that's what we do. We make a choice and tell the truth. God can't lie. It is outside of, of who he is. A rock can't swim. Uh, that's impossible. It's impossible for God to be able to lie. As you evaluate God's character and as you try to be able to say, can I put my faith and I hope and trust in, 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 in this person? The Bible says many, many, many times that, 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 that his constitution is truth. He, in fact, is the very standard of all truth. But the Bible also says he's a word that you and I don't, don't ever use very often. It's kind of a theological word. I don't know if I've ever used it or not, but I don't know of another, uh, another way to say this, but the, you'll find it sometimes in your reading if you're studying, and the Bible says that God is immutable, okay? The Bible says that, that God is, is, is immutable, and, and, and that says that in Malachi 3.6. It goes back to kind of like the truth thing that, that God does not change. God doesn't just um, 
uh, have, a, have an idea one time that he's going to say, do this, and then change his mind and going to do this. That's not who God is, because God is truth. James 1.17 is a similar verse as well that speaks to, to the fact that God is, is truth as well. And, and God is immutable, and God does not change. I'm trying to talk to you this morning about the character of God. And when you try to be able to understand who God is, to decide if you're going to be able to rest and you're going to be able to lean and you're going to be able to, to hold on to those promises, you've got to be able to understand who God's character is. This, this, this is the God of, of everlasting. This is a one who is not just truthful. He's one who's truth himself. One who does not change in and of himself. The Bible says God is also faithful. Hebrews 10, 23 is a passage that we have here is faithful. God not only will, will, will speak truth, but he will carry that truth out. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful. Joshua 21, 45 is another verse that comes up here. Now, listen, <laughs> I don't know how many of those 7,487 promises he made to Israel. Okay, I don't have time or even motivation to go count all those. But Joshua says there's not one of them. There's not a single one of them that, that, that has not come true. <laughs> who, who, who's this God who's making a promise? I, who, who, who's, this, uh, who's this person that's making me a promise? How do I believe this person? Why well, I judge them on their character, first of all. God is truth. God is never changing. God is, is, is faithful. And also God is love. And his promises are for our good. Somebody says, well, how do you know God is love? And the only thing you have to do is look at the cross. All you have to do is look at the cross. And oh, God will keep an Old Testament promise and send his son to the cross. If God can keep a promise of that nature, how much less it would require for him to keep lesser promises to you and to me? If God would keep a promise of, of, of this magnitude, if God would keep a promise of, 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 of how difficult this must have, must have been to keep that promise, if God will keep that promise, how much less it takes for him to keep all the promises that he's promised to you and me. Sometimes... Sometimes Tim might not have the ability to keep a promise that he kept to, that he made to his boys because of, of the boss that he has to work overtime or, or he had a flat tire or, or he just came home dead tired. And I know I told the boys I was going to take them bowling, but guys, can you let me out of that promise tonight? I'll take you tomorrow. I, I've said that. I didn't have the ability to keep it because I was dead tired. But God has the ability. God has the ability to keep it. Sometimes things may come up that we never even knew about. We never even knew it was going to happen. But nothing ever comes up that God doesn't know is going to happen. The, the theological word there is he's omniscient, all-knowing. 
Nothing ever comes up. He's never surprised. He's, he knew that traffic jam was going to happen, that flat tire was going to happen. Nothing could ever come up that God didn't know about that, that would keep him from keeping that promise. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. What's it? Hebrews, what is it, 4.13 that we have up here? Nothing in all cre- creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before they ask to him to whom we must give an account. Psalm 147 says basically the same thing in a different way. Psalm 147 says he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. There's no lack of ability. There may be a lack of ability for me to keep the promise I make to you. And I didn't make that promise with an intent to break it. I really didn't. But because of a lack of ability, something came up in just my humanity. I did not have the ability to keep it. I just did not have the ability to keep it. I, 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 told, I told that missionary I was going to be able to uh, give them $50 a month, but I had no clue that this was going to happen financially, and this was going to happen financially, and this was going to happen financially, and that was going to happen financially, and $50 a month seems a whole, like a whole lot of money to me. You don't have to worry about that with God. What God has said for you in, in, in his word, he has all, he's all-knowing. He, 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 it's, it's never going to be without any kind of ability that it, on his part that he couldn't keep it just because of that ability. The Bible says he's also not only omniscient, he, he's, he's omnipotent. That means all-powerful. That means all-powerful. I got stuck in that traffic jam on 675, and I don't have the power to just to be able to turn my car into a helicopter and make it on home. God's all-powerful. There's nothing that is too hard for him. He's the ultimate promise keeper because he has the character and the ability to keep whatever promise he's made you. The character and the ability. This is God. This is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is our God. He's omniscient. He's he's omnipotent. Psalm 103 The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Ephesians 3.20 kind of says the same thing in the New Testament. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. He's he's, He's omnipotent. What promise is there? What promise is there in God's word that, that I'm asking you to build your life around that you just maybe wonder, can this really happen? And I'm telling you this morning that the God we worship has the character and he has the ability to pull off whatever he's promised you. If he can do that, if he can do that, He can do all the myriad of things that are lesser than that to keep his promise to you. Now, somebody's saying, um, um, well, this hasn't happened yet. Here, I can pull out a, you pull out a verse and say, well, this hasn't happened yet. And that word yet might be true. It hasn't happened yet. You just got to hold on to that promise. The fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't happen at all. I'm encouraging today you to build your life on the promises of God. 
What do you build them on? Are you building them on the promises of a spouse? That's a really cool thing. That can bring some comfort in life. But that's nothing to build your life around. Your spouse may die tomorrow. Your spouse may, may, may be, have a car accident tomorrow and may not be in the right mind for the rest of their life. What are you building your life? Are you building your life around the, the economy? Are, are, are you building your life around an employer, a job, a career, or whatever? All those things are good things, but they're not things to build your life around. Your Christian life is built around the promises of God. And all kinds of people build their life on the wrong things. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was trying to say, hey, there's two people. They, they build their life on a rock and they build their life on sand. And, 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 the, and, the, and the rains come and the winds blow and the storms are there. Notice, rains, storms. Winds, bad times, come to those who build on sand and come to those who build on a rock. Okay? Uh, it doesn't say, to those who build on a rock, there wasn't any bad times. To those who build on a rock, there's no storms, there's no wind, there's no rain. No, 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 no. It says, on both of those homes, the one that was built on sand and the one that was built on rock, the winds blew. And the storms came, and they beat upon that house. But the moral of the story is the house built on a rock stood. What are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? And you can be the best builder of your life on the promises of God and there will still be rain and there will still be storms and the winds will still blow, but your house will stand. Your house will stand. The promises of God are something like, we used to go, my, um, both of my Aunts and uncles lived on farms, and one of them lived on a pretty good-sized farm. And we used to, we used to go out to the farm, and we just, we loved going to the farm. It, it was a really old farm, and there was, there was this, this farm was so old, there were slave quarters on this farm where the slaves used to live back in the Civil War times. And so we were always finding something that we never knew existed or never seen before and stuff like that. But one of the things I really loved on that farm is, is to go back five or six acres, and there was, this, there was this creek. And the creek wasn't very deep. It might have come up to my knees or something. But for some reason, as a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, I don't know, I just, and, and the creek was maybe 20 feet wide. It wasn't, it wasn't huge. And I loved to try to walk across that creek. And so I would go from this rock to this rock to that rock. And you've done stuff like that. Okay, if, if you fall in, it's no big deal. I mean, it's no, it's no more up to here. But it's just fun to see, can, how, can I just kind of go without getting wet in a seven or eight-year-old boy's mind? And the promises of God are like that. We negotiate life from one promise to the next. Our life is built 
on the promise of God. And if there's a promise that, that you're holding on to right now and, and you're kind of talking back to me right now and you're saying, yeah, but what about this, what about this? You know, let me tell you something. Because of the character and the ability of God, it's not God's pro- fault. It's not God's fault that that promise has not been fulfilled. Some of God's promises we'll talk about later next week or so are conditional promises. So, so if I've been holding onto this promise and it's not really seemed to be working out, if God has the character and the ability to work it out, the problem's not on God's problem. He has the power to do that. I just wonder if the problem could be on, on my shoulders because some of the God's promises are conditional. Romans 10.9 is up here. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... This is a promise, one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture, but it's a conditional promise. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Philippians 4.19 is a promise that a lot of us cling on to. It says, my God will supply all my needs. Now, I don't have time to go through the context of that verse. But you know what? You can go, go in Philippians 4 and look at the context of that verse. Paul is thanking the Philippians because they have been so generous in meeting Paul's needs and sending him offerings and helping him out financially and being very generous in their giving. And it's to those people that it says, you've been meeting my needs Thank you for the Paul's in prison. You didn't have stuff in prison like you do now. You were just totally relying on family members to send you some food and all this kind of stuff. Paul says to all of you who have been meeting my needs, can I tell you that God will supply all your needs? It's people that have been generous and people that are that that have an outward focus and people that are trying to be generous with their finances. Paul says, My God, my God will supply all your needs. I mean, if there's something that just seems like to you like God is not coming through for you, can I tell you? He's got the character and he's got the ability to do it. That's not the issue. The issue is maybe the time hasn't come about yet or is the issue with this was a conditional promise that is based on something on my end. James 4, 7 says, it doesn't just say the devil will flee from you. It doesn't just say the devil will flee from you. It says submit yourselves there, then to God. Resist him and he'll flee. Resist him. So if I, I, I'm not putting myself, if I'm not resisting him, if, if I'm putting myself in his way and if I'm not taking myself out of temptation, if I'm not submitting myself to God, how can I claim that promise that he will flee? How can I? Claim that promise that if I'm just kind of, I'm, well, God will get me out of this. God will get me. God has the character. God has the ability. If there's a promise that's not being kept right now, it maybe is going to be kept in the future. It's just not in God's timing. But maybe is there something that I'm not fulfilling? I'm not submitting myself there. Well, boy, I just got his promise that he'll, he'll, that the devil will flee from me, but this pornography and, and da-da-da, but I still tip myself with it. But I know God is going to take me, but I 
tempt myself, but then if I tempt myself, I'm not submitting myself to God. I'm not resisting the devil. God's promised to direct our paths. God has promised to be able to make our paths straight. But in Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6, there's conditions to that promise. And you know that verse. I don't have to quote that verse to you. Hey, the power of God's promises is in him. It's in his character. And it's in his ability. He will not let you down. And if that promise has not been fulfilled, it's just not in God's timing yet. Or is it a conditional promise? I kind of like to think, do y'all, I, I grew up, I grew up with medicine cabinets. Do y'all have, we, we don't, we're too cool to have medicine cabinets anymore, I think. But I grew up where you had a mirror and you just opened it up and there was the medicine cabinet, Okay. And homes they build now, they don't really have medicine cabinets anymore, do we? But I kind of look at God's promises as almost like a medicine cabinet that I can open up. And, and I come to the mirror in the morning and I look at myself in the mirror and, and I feel like my life is out of control. And I, I, I feel like this is going that way and this is going that way. And I just feel like I'm just running around with a chicken with my head cut off and I got this going on and that going on and how in the world is, God, is all this going to work out right? And I can just metaphorically pick up a bottle of Romans 8.28 that I'm called to believe. That I'm called to believe. That I'm called to build my life on. And, and, and it doesn't say that all things are good as you're reading that. It doesn't say that all things are good. He says he'll take everything and work it for good. Have you heard people say, <laughs> have you heard people say, oh, it's all good. Ah, it's all good. That's kind of cool now. Ah, it's all good. Well, that's a bunch of hooey. It's not all good. There's a whole lot of bad in this life. There's a whole lot of bad in his life. Now, God's word says he'll take everything that comes to you and not make that crappy stuff. Sue will get mad at me that I said that. Now. Well, that not make that bad stuff good, but will somehow work it. Somehow work it for good. I go to that medicine cabinet in the morning and and I just got troubles here, I got troubles there, I got troubles in front of me, I got troubles behind me. This is, this is, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. If this doesn't happen, that will happen. Then what am I going to do if that happens? I got troubles. And I'm a Christian. And I've got all these troubles. And I reach into that medicine cabinet and pull out that bottle that says John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, I've told you these things so that in, in me, Jesus speaking, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise. There's two promises there. In this world, you will have trouble. Promise number one. But I'm of overcome the world. But I've overcome the world. You look in that medicine cabinet and, and you just you feel lonely. You just feel lonely. And I think of my mom, and you know, and she's 87 and can't get out or 
chooses not to get out. I don't know what it is. And I know she's lonely. And her life is built around that little 12 by 24 room in Elmcroft. And she, she just doesn't feel lonely. She is lonely. I mean, there are people that are, are, are lonely. And she looks in that medicine cabinet and pulls out that bottle that says Hebrews 13, 5. And, and where God says, in this place and many others, I will never leave you. I don't care where you're going. I don't care if you're in Elmcroft. I don't care if you're in a surgery unit. I don't care if you're being wheeled back to surgery. I don't care if the paramedics are coming because you've had a heart attack. I don't care if the paramedics are getting ready to lay the paddles on your chest. God's promise is he never will leave you or forsake you. My question this morning is just very simple to you. Are you, are you. are you building your life around the promises of God? I look in the morning. I can remember several years ago when I used to go do seminars, of all different kinds of seminars for an organization called Skill Path. And I had to go do a seminar at a... Um, I had to go do a seminar. <laughs> that was so stupid. I had to go through a, do a seminar for prison ward, for prison guards in Cleveland, outside of Cleveland. And, and the seminar was on communications. And I thought, Lord, these people don't care anything about communications. I've got to talk to these people for six hours who deal with hardened criminals. And I've got to talk to them about how to better communicate. They're just going to eat me up and spit me out. And I can remember getting there in the morning. I don't know. The seminar started at 8 or something. I don't know. So I got there in the morning and I was, I was praying. You know, and I, Just like if I pray more, God's going to hear it more. I never ever got that. You know, It's like if I pray more and more and more, I haven't prayed enough. It's like God's deaf. I just got to pray some more. And, so, but, and it's like I was praying and it's like God just said, would you get in there? I heard you the first time you prayed. Mark, you're just fearful. That's all it is. You're just fearful. And you're wanting me to take away the fear. I haven't promised to take away the fear. I promised I'll be with you. Even amidst all the fear. That's what I promised. And you just are too stinking scared to go in there and do it. And which it comes down to, you're not believing me. Because I've told you that I'll be with you. Isaiah, it's Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. And as I sit there and I keep praying, I keep praying. I've been praying for days and weeks. I keep praying, I keep praying. I got five more minutes. I'm going to pray five more minutes before I go in. I heard you the first time, Mark. The issue is not with me. The issue is not how hard you pray. Will you believe that as you walk in there, I'm with you. Don't be dismayed about this. So like I asked you last week, I can ask you this week, how are you believing? Um, I finish with 2 Timothy chapter 1. And the Bible says that um, he has given us very great 
and precious promises. They are not just valuable, they are precious. And they're not just good, they are great. Great enough to build your life on. Their power and the promises of God. And even if your faith may be weak, he has the character and the ability to fulfill whatever he's told you he will. Do you believe that? Are you building your life around that? Our servers are coming to the table and each Sunday we do this and reminds us of one of the great and precious promises that God has given us that if we know that the wages of sin is death but the promise is the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus and as we read all of the book we know it's through his shed blood and his broken body so every Sunday as we line up here and every Sunday as I open the table we have a promise that is before us and we're asked to believe that and this is the foundational promise we're asked to believe as entry into the Christian life then all the other pr promises of Christian growth and maturity open up after our faith and trust and belief in this one this is the bedrock this is the foundation you believe it? are you building your life around the foundation Father, I pray you make us believers. I pray you make us builders who are not building with um, things that will perish. 